going to go back to where we left off last week. Peter's writings. And pick up where we were actually when we started just to come to the point and review. Well, we talked about those prophets who had come before that were moved by the Spirit of God to prophesy of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see what searching water, what matter of time the Spirit of Christ which is in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. We must understand that if we know anything about God, if we know anything about Christ, if we hear Him, if we have a reverential fear of Him, if we love Him, all of this knowledge comes through revelation of the Spirit of God. John teaches us the Son of Man, Christ, quickeneth whom He will. Christ gives us life. The Spirit teaches us. The Spirit brings us into remembrance and reveals the things of God to us in Christ. It was no different with these men than it is now as to where this came from, the knowledge of God and the purpose of God in it that the Son of Man be glorified. It testified before the sufferings of Christ we talked about that last week and we talked a little bit about Christ coming into the world and what a sacrifice in my mind it would be to leave, to lay the glory of the Godhead aside, which is necessary, or we would have been consumed in His glory because we're sinners. But I think about sometimes, and I haven't done this in quite a while, but when I would go to work and all that I had to be exposed to. You know, you walk out in society and, and things trouble you, the things that are accepted, the things that go on in this world. And we're sinners. I would go to work and I would dread going. I dreaded the conflict of having to walk amongst that death and sin. Although I am a sinner, I trust God has made me to hate that lifestyle which I once enjoyed, but I dreaded going to work just because I knew what I was going to walk into. And I'm a sinner. Now you think about the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, eternal, in righteousness, deity, wisdom, power, laying aside the glory of God, He who sin cannot exist before if He's in His glory as He will be when He returns. Think about Him coming into this world and walking in the body of a man with all the death and sin that was around Him. And then you began to consider the suffering that that must have been to the righteous God of heaven. Yet it was His passion to come here and die for us. We talked about Him suffering in the garden as He prayed in the great drops of sweat as blood. It was sweat, not blood. Came forth from His forehead. We know 
that is teaching us, when I sweat, I can wipe it with my hand. He was in such anxiety, the man, not the Word of God or the second person of the Godhead, but the man, for he's all man and all God, was in such anxiety that the sweat poured forth from him as blood dropping from his body. Great suffering. And yet, Father, let Thy will be done. And we talked about Him being beaten. And that's where I'm going to pick up today. We know He was beaten by the kangaroo court of the Jews and delivered up to Pilate. Placed a crown of thorns upon His head, spit upon Him. This is the King of glory who suffered because He loved you eternally to be spit upon. To be to be to bear our shame, to be hated without a cause, to be condemned, being wholly innocent and pure, and taken to Pilate and was scourged. He was beaten with a whip, a rod, I would say, the way it's depicted, with leather. Thongs on the end with bone and metal attached to the end. Beaten severely. Joshua persuaded me to watch part of the movie, The Passion of Christ. I'd never seen that. said I'd never watch it because I did not want to see how it was portrayed and how Christ was beaten by the hands of sinful men. Please understand that's my nature. That's why I police my whole adult life. I hate evil. I hate wickedness. And it angers me that He was beaten. God forgive me. It's like, depart from me. Because you savor the things of men, as He said to Peter, not the things of God. It was meant. It was ordained eternally that Christ would suffer. And He knew everything that was going to come. But He suffered for our sake. He was beaten so badly Let's read this. Isaiah 52. Behold my servant, verse 13, shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Well, he was exalted upon the cross. If I be lifted up from the earth, I shall raise all men unto me. All men is all the children of God. God's elect. And be very high. He's down at the right hand of the majesty on high. But watch the suffering. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Understand, the Romans were cruel. The Romans army was especially cruel. Government is to be a terror to evil and they were certainly a terror to evil. They were certainly a terror to anyone who resisted or stood in their way. This man, Jesus Christ, was bound and He was beaten. The metal, the bone, 
dug into his back. He was beaten so badly in the face by men's hands and whatever tools that they used, if there were any. But the point remains because Scripture tells us he was beaten so badly he could not be recognized. His eyes must have been swollen shut. He could not see through them probably. He was beaten beyond any imagination, beyond anything that our human bodies could have withstood and lived to even get to the cross. He was beaten more than any man. And His body was beaten more than the sons of men. His form was changed. He was beaten so badly. Can you imagine... This is a a hard picture to think about. But in this is our salvation. In this is the love of God. Don't you ever take the blood of the Lamb out of Scripture. Don't you ever take the sacrifice of the Lamb of God out of the songs we sing and the prayers we pray. We're not here to be popular and sing Kumbaya. We're here to talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of the very Son of God who was beaten so badly he could not be recognized, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Gentiles. He didn't pick a nation out. This nation didn't exist. He didn't pick out Rome and pick out Italy from Rome and pick out Germany or some of the other nations of the world or the Muhammad nations and Arab. He didn't pick those out. That's not what it's saying. The Gentiles, God's elect among the Gentiles, were sprinkled with the blood of the Lamb of God. We go back to Exodus when God is giving us Moses, but it's given to us to know that everything in the worship service had to be sprinkled with blood. That teaches us that we cannot worship God, we cannot know God, we cannot come before God, we cannot present ourselves to God unless we're sprinkled with blood. Our worship is unacceptable except in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way to God except in the blood of Christ. He was beaten this badly. He shall sprinkle many nations. The book of the law had to be sprinkled foreshadowing grace and the blood of the Lamb. The altar had to be sprinkled. Well, your body is the altar of God, and it's sprinkled. You're the temple of God. The Holy Ghost dwells within you. If you love God, you're born of the Spirit of God, and you're in the blood of Christ because it is upon you, because He placed it there. It was not poured out. It was not spilt. It was intentionally sprinkled everywhere by the high priest pointing to Christ on everything God directed pertaining to worship that it should be. And 
It had to be sprinkled upon every one of the children of God who were there to worship Him. And you are here to worship Him today because the blood of Christ is upon you because God hath placed it there. And if He had not, you would not be here. And that's evidence that you are. Why? Why did He suffer? That's what Peter's going to tell us about. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He opened not His mouth. He was taken from prison and judgment. Why did all this happen? For it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. Because in the realm of eternity, which has no beginning... God has always loved you. Before sin came, the covenant was made that Christ would die for the children of God. That He would suffer. It was His passion, Acts chapter 1, to suffer. To be beaten. Not even bringing to mind the fact we mentioned last week of the three hours of darkness when His body became sin for us. And God could not look upon His body because His body was made sin. That's why we find in the psalm, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? Because God could not look upon Him. And to me, I believe that was the greatest suffering that Christ had. He bore our shame. He bore our sin. And was forsaken of the Father. You know, you grow up in the South, you love your daddy. There were things that I would not do as mean and hateful as I was as a child because I would not want to hurt my daddy's feelings and I certainly didn't want him to abandon me or be ashamed of me. My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? The Son was forsaken of the Father until He cried out, It is finished. And His soul ascended to the Father above. Now, He is speaking about with Peter the sufferings of Christ and why Christ suffered. I want to get through some of this. You can talk about this forever and ever and never touch it. This is the glory of God upon the cross of Calvary. In it He was glorified as He prayed. Father, the hours come, glorify Thy Son that He may also glorify Thee as Thou hast given Him power over all flesh that He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. He was glorified in the crucifixion. He was glorified at His birth. He was glorified when He went back to glory in Acts. Brethren, He was glorified when He hanged upon the cross. In the darkness of the three hours when the glory of God in Christ overshadowed the sun and the moon. And Zechariah says, at evening time it shall be light because the light of God was given to us in Christ. He suffered for us. And the glory that should follow the glory of Christ. I have both glorified it 
and will glorify it again. When He appears in the eastern sky, how do I know that? That's the way the light comes. Nature teaches us that. He shall be in His glory. And we shall forever be with Him in His glory. We'll see Him as He is. But my point that Peter is teaching in the Scripture that these men prophesied of the sufferings of Christ, the Son of God, the anointed of God, and the glory that should follow. I said last week, and I'm going to say it again, as many as He justified them, He also glorified. Now there comes a day, there comes a day called the resurrection, when every child of God will raise up their body glorified, and their body, spirit, and soul in glory together will be with Christ forever. So shall we ever be the Lord. That is eternal. That is a glory we cannot imagine or see while we live in this sinful body. But children of God, when you live here in this world and God has worked a work on you, when Christ has given you life and God has called you by the preaching of the Gospel into the kingdom of God in order in order to glorify His Son and the way you live and walk following Christ, God glorifies you as you live in this world. It's manifested that you're a child of God. It's manifested that you are not like the other people in the world. We'll get to it eventually, I think, in Second Peter, where they think it's strange that you run not in excess of riot with them. Why don't they do this? Why don't they want to live like us? Why don't they want to live it up in the world? Because God has worked a work in them. And you are glorified because Christ is glorified in you and what He's done with you. Taking nothing and making it life as He did when the creation of the world. Taking death and making it life. Taking sin and doing away with it and imputing His righteousness upon you and causing you to walk with God in this world. The glory that should be revealed, the glory of the church, the glory of the calling of the Gentiles which was prophesied in Scripture, He shall say unto them that they were not His people, but they are now His people, Gentiles in the flesh. Who are they? For the children not being born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God among all Jew and Gentile, according to what election might stand, not of works, but of Him that calleth. The glory of the church which is the glory of Christ. Revelation 19, the fine linen of the saints. Linen is kingly attire. The righteousness of Christ imputed upon you. The glory of God. They were preaching, speaking of the prophets, unto whom it was revealed, because they penned these words, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that not unto themselves, but unto us today, they did minister the things which are now reported 
unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Not unto themselves. The time of this salvation was not in the time that they lived. They preached it coming. It's been said many times the Old Testament preached of the coming and the work of Christ. The New Testament preaches that Christ has come and finished the work the Father gave Him to do. They had a benefit in it. They had grace in it. They had a love and a comfort in their heart by having this revealed to them. And those that heard it had an ear to hear that God caused to hear had a blessing in it also. But all of those people and the great blessing they had was do not compare with the grace that we have today as we stand in this dark, perverted, sinful earth and rejoice in the glory of God going back into this chapter, being tried with fire, our faith being tried with all around us, and having the grace of God manifested in our heart. It's always been there. It was back in eternity, never having a beginning. Linda and I came over the mountain. It's so foggy. There's usually a beautiful view. You couldn't see anything. I said, you don't have a view today. It was like 42 when it used to sign off back in the 60s. She said, well, there's a little hole you can see through. I make a point with that. They could not see grace. They were shut up under the law. But when the fullness of the time came, they could see the grace. We could see the leaves and the beautiful colors that God created. These things are reported unto us. How? By them that have preached the Gospel unto you. Well, that's so elder so-and-so. Barry Cordes made a statement up here one time. And I appreciate it so much. He was talking about ministers and young ministers. And he said, the title, the title, that's a title. That's a name given by Scripture. Don't put it on your checkbook, okay? I've gone to calls before and they said the Reverend so-and-so called. Well, I was not in a hurry to get there because I didn't want to talk to someone that exalted himself to start with. Okay? Those that have preached the Holy Ghost, I say all that to make this point. Do not exalt a man. I've told you many times, God takes the vile, the sinful, the worse, stiff-necked, and calls it and brings it forth to glorify His name. You want to start looking at how bad people used to live? Let's dig through the ministry, okay? God takes the worst and changes it and sends it forth to glorify His name. God who takes death and makes it life, okay? And I'm saying that to make a point. Them which have preached the Gospel unto you with what? The Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God. 
It's Christ's ministry. He quickened them. He chose them. He loved them. He died for them. He gives them life. He quickens them. The Spirit of God sends them forth. The same Spirit of God which was in these men of old as they were moved by the Holy Spirit and penned Holy Writ and Scripture the same example God sends forth today. We don't write the Scripture that's already written. We preach from the Scripture God sent us through them and we preach Christ and Him crucified. What is He talking about? The sufferings of the Son of God. The sufferings of the Christ of God. That the very Son of God before whom sin cannot exist came into this low down Earth among the worms. Jacob, thou worm. You ever gone fishing, stuck a hook in a worm? His skin's made out of dirt. He's slimy. You stick the hook in, his insides are made out of dirt. Earth. Earthy. That's what we are. That is what we are. Our salvation comes from Christ. We are morally bankrupt by our nature. By our nature, we had our time with the course with the prince of the air. It's all in Christ. When we preach, we preach Christ. Steve was telling Linda yesterday when we got back about because he keeps notes. He's very detailed in what was preached. And Linda told him, she said, you know, I've been going back through church history and reading minutes from other churches and you read the same thing, the same Scriptures, the same text 200 years ago that our forefathers taught in this land, Christ, Christ, Christ is still taught today. Turn to the minutes and read. Turn to the day's minutes and read. Matthew 25.31, Matthew 25.31, Matthew 1, Matthew 1, John 3, John 3. Everything the same. God help us to keep it. Christ and Him crucified. Unto whom it was revealed that not in themselves, but unto us, today's church, they did minister to things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you, the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Where does it come from? Heaven. Revelation 1, it come down from God out of heaven. The revelation, the manifestation of Christ, the Son of God. It comes down from the Father in heaven. Which things the angels desire to look into. Sometimes I think, and I've always thought this, you know, angels are created beings. Some angels fell. What angels did not fall? Those that were elected of God did not fall, just like we are. Elected of God to live with Christ forever. But you look back in Scripture, and the Bible teaches us of these men preaching things they probably did not fully understand by the grace of God given to you. And the angels desire to look into it. 
the angels in heaven which are greater in power and might than we are. Had not the full knowledge of the coming of the Christ until the fullness of the time had come when God decreed that His Son would come into this world and suffer and bleed and die. Now let's... And they inquired. They wanted to look into it. Now let's look at this somewhat separate way, but just as true. 2,000 years ago, roughly the Son of God came to this world and saved His people from their sins, established His church, gave us the knowledge of Christ and God the Father and the Godhead, Trinity and the power and deity of them and of our hope in heaven, our earnest expectation of being with Christ forever and seeing Him as He is. And the angels in heaven, as well as we do, as well as we do, desire to look into these things going forward to the time and beyond of the coming of Christ in the air and gathering His people unto Him and living with Him in heaven and immortal glory. We've talked before, I think, going through the Ephesian letter about the creatures in heaven, cherubs, seraphims, angels, things we know about. The whole creation, they're created. They're just in heaven with God around the throne. The seraphims flying around Him. Isaiah 6, I believe, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. We see, we see Jacob with the ladder going up and down. The angels ascending and descending. We sang the song, the angels of God campeth around you. They protect you. We don't see them, but we know they're there. They groan awaiting that grand and glorious day. And they seek that knowledge and they look for it. They long for it. As we do, yearn for it. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Ephesians 6, I believe, the girdle of truth. What is truth? Pilate said that. What is truth? I'll tell you what truth is. Christ. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. For He is God, and He is God manifest. The truth. Gird up the loins of your mind. True gospel. True doctrine. The sufferings of Christ. How much He suffered for us. You know, I have stepped on nails at work and I scream like a little girl. Daddy can testify to that. Christ had them driven through His hands and His feet. He hanged there with them. With His body cramping when He would pull Himself up to breathe by nails in His hands. And the pain was so great, he'd relax his body and then he would suffocate to the point he couldn't breathe and had to pull himself up again. The suffering, the suffering of the Christ of God. Gird up 
the loins of your mind. Be sober. This is speaking of being somber-minded. We went through Revelation. We talked about those of God's people that were carried away by the things of the world, the, 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 the prostitutes that were once in the church and the, the exotic liquors and stuff and all that was in the church. And I'm not using, I'm using that to make the point with be not intoxicated with the things of the world, but keep your mind and keep your heart set on Christ. There's no peace to the wicked. They know not God. God hath given you peace. It's in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Don't be carried away in diverse doctrine. I've told you before from 1 Timothy 3.16, if we believe not, yet He abideth faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. But if you believe, if you know, every child of God will stand with Him in glory. And that's part of the knowledge we have to maintain the very fact that salvation is of Christ and nothing else. Christ Jesus, to Him be the glory. Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end. When is that? The day of judgment. For the grace, unmerited love and favor upon each individual child of God as a whole who stand in the election of grace and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Alright, let's explain that. In the last day, Christ shall appear the Son of Man shall come in His glory, sitting upon the throne of His glory. He's never been seen in the fullness of His glory by a man in this world. Peter, James, and John, He's transfigured before them in His righteousness, but still, still not in the fullness of the glory of the Son of God. He will be revealed to us on the last day in the fullness of the glory of the Godhead. Let's go a little bit deeper. At the revelation of Jesus Christ, day by day, Christ reveals Himself to us. He reveals Himself to you when God writes His law, His testimony, Christ, upon your heart. He's revealed unto us every time we sit under the true sound of the Gospel. And that's by the grace and glory of God. Don't you ever give that glory to a man. He reveals Himself to us when we've lost a loved one. He reveals Himself to us when we go through trials and temptations. He reveals Himself to us, or to me anyway, when I look in the mirror and bow my head in shame at what I am by my nature and what I think, and what I fight daily. He reveals Himself to us daily. Peter saying, gird up the minds of your loin, be sober, look for Christ as obedient children, I mean, uh, and, and for the grace to be brought into the revelation of Jesus Christ. We must have grace to sleep at night, for so He giveth His beloved sleep. We have grace to travel. 
We have grace to worship. We have grace to walk. We have grace to live. Everything in this life to a child of God is in the grace of God. Okay? And we hope for that grace as Christ daily reveals Himself to us. That He is the Son of God. That He manifests to us, I've got this. I carried you. I suffered for you. I love you eternally. That cannot change. You cannot be taken from me. You cannot be taken from my Father. You cannot lose this battle. For I have fought it, Christ, God, and I am victorious. And on the appointed day, I will come and take you home. And there will be no more suffering. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The knowledge of Christ. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that's to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children. Well, you're meddling now, preacher. I told Steve yesterday, I said, you know, we've hurt ourselves in the church. I can remember a time when we preached in my childhood that if God had given you life and God loved you and you loved God, you had a responsibility to come into the church. We don't do that anymore. Why? Because they do it. They do it, so we ain't going to do it. That's a... Bite that lip. That has hurt us. That has hurt us. As obedient children, listen, there is absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Absolutely nothing. This text is about the preaching of the Gospel. This text is about the church of God in the world. When we walk with God apart from the world, God said, be ye holy for I'm holy. We'll get that in a little bit. When we strive to follow God, when we strive to turn away from the world, we're blessed. We're blessed. I'm gonna tell you, I used to. I was mean. I didn't. I didn't get near as much discipline on my posterior as I deserved. And had they known some of the things we did do, I would have got more. But the greatest disappointment to me was to be looked at in that way, like you've hurt me, or I'm ashamed of you. We get that way before God sometimes, and you think, Lord, I've. I've turned away. Lord, I've sinned against Thee and Thee only. Lord, help me. And as a parent, a father, He does. But we walk as obedient children and we have blessing. Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust and your ignorance. What former lust? The lust of the nature. The lust of the flesh. Well... John the Baptist was quickened of the Spirit while he was in his mother's womb. 
He didn't hear the Gospel, did He? He wasn't baptized, was He? But He was given life. Testifying of that is that when Mary, who had conceived the Christ child, came to His mother Elizabeth, John leapt in Elizabeth's womb for joy. He was born of the Spirit of God in the womb. The thief on the cross at the point of death was given life. Nothing's too late for God. And I say that to make the point John the Baptist quickened in the womb. I can't see him since he was born of God the Spirit having the lust of the natural man and the fullness of the natural man. But still it remains that as long as we live in this body of sin, we have the lust of the natural man. Whether it's hatred or pride or greed or lust of the flesh or whatever. And that's why He's telling us for our benefit to not fashion ourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. But as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Clarify, rightly divide. God has made you holy and without blame in Christ before God the Father in love. Ephesians 1 and 4. That is done. You are pure. Never to be taken away. So He's not talking about you becoming holy in spirit and soul. If you love God, if you know God, then you're born of the Spirit. If you're born of the Spirit, God has written His law in your heart. Christ has shed His blood, sprinkled it upon you, and you're clean, you're holy, and God has began a work in you to cause you to loathe your former self and to strive to walk with Christ. So Peter's not saying become holy. He's saying in all manner of conversation. When your friends want to go off and do this, and the Lord lets you know it ain't right, don't do it. When you're told to do something at work, I've been there, and it ain't right, don't do it. I've had them tell me to do things at work that were not constitutional. I said, I'm not going to do it, and you can't make me. It's against the Constitution. And they hated me for that, but that's the way it was. Get over it. If we know things are wrong, we're not supposed to do it. Be holy as Christ. There's our example. We can't leave this world. Christ walked among the wicked. Christ didn't, as some religions do, walk around with a sword beheading people. He walked among them as He teaches us to do, living our lives quietly, living as peaceably as we can with all men, loving the brotherhood, because we're all family in Christ, 
And in the sense of loving as providing food and water and clothing to the needy, even if we don't know who they are or they're not manifesting themselves as God's children. I've said this before as an example. By law, we feed people in prison that have done hideous deeds. We're to feed, to love all men in that aspect of helping anybody that is in need of material things in this world. Doesn't say love them with a brotherly love. And that's neither here nor there, but it came out. Be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Be holy in the way you walk. Be separate. As He which hath called you is holy, God high above the heaven and earth, My ways are higher than your ways as the heavens are above the earth. He is holy. He is separate. There is nothing, period, since Adam's transgression, Satan's rebellion, there is nothing that can stand before God or approach unto His righteousness. He is holy. He is holy. Holier than angels and all created things. We can't approach unto that holiness alone and will not till we leave this world and are raised up. And even then, we won't be as He. But we're to be holy in a conversation. We're to be separate from the world. God told Israel, come out from among them, the world, and be ye separate. A child of God is not to follow after the things of the world, the teachings of the world. And I'm going to give you a quick example hit my mind this morning laying in the bed. <coughs> I got kinfolk that grew up in church, this one. Told me, younger years, I'm not going to teach my children how to worship what to think. Well, shame on you. Is there a reason those children are not in church today? God told Moses, Thou shalt diligently teach these things unto thy sons and thy sons' sons. We are to be holy as far as walking apart from the world being separate from the world, teaching our children to be separate from the world. We can't manufacture children of God. Jacob told Rebecca, am I in God's stead? Can I provide a child? No, we cannot. But we can be holy and walk holy and teach our children to be holy. And if they are God's, perhaps the time will come that God will touch them and bless them and carry on the traditions which God in Christ has established in the church of God. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy.